Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica and as always I am joined by my favorite person on the planet, Tara. Hey spooksters. As you can see by the title, today is part one of a crazy, is a crazy man, Israel Keys. <laughs> this is a serial killer that Tara and I have been wanting to do for a really long time. But the truth is, this is a very daunting and it just like it took a lot out of us to get there. And we've we've tried, we put him on the calendar multiple times and mm-hmm. have always rescheduled. But before we get into that... You can hang out with us on social media. Our handle is at Three Spooked Girls for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you want to hang out with other spooksters in what we're kind of calling our own little slice of the internet, we have a Facebook group. It is Three Spooked Girls Official. It's just a happy, fun time in there. Like, Mm -hmm. literally, there is not only just the memes that get me going through the day, like when I'm looking and I'm like, oh my God, that's so funny. And half the time I want to repost something, be like, oh, this would be great in the group. And then I realize it's in the group. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're like, damn so it. The- <laughs> it's like, damn it, someone beat me. This was so good. But also we do things like gift exchanges. We did our My Bloody Valentine where we did, mm-hmm. you know, Valentine either book or mug gift exchanges. We do our Secret Satan. That's where our book club is. Mm-hmm. We also have, let's see what other fun things do we have in there? We talk about topics. Mm-hmm. I think that this one will probably be this series. I don't know if it'll be a one-parter, two-parter, 17-parter. I don't know yet. We haven't got there. <laughs> At least two. <laughs> We're playing this by ear, guys. Yeah. It should be able to discuss. So if you mm-hmm. want to be able to engage with other like-minded people and have a safe place on the internet to like talk about things, we're very protective of our group too. So if you <laughs> want to go in there and talk about your things, mm-hmm. you you can. We don't allow bullying. We don't allow any of that shit. So like, if you are like, hey, I want to hang out with some other spooksters and fellow true crime enthusiasts. Yes. It's Three Spook Girls official. Yes, yes. We also have like a spookster store. Tara does her tarot reading. She has, she does like, it's a really pretty, like she does crystals and stuff like that that are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And those are limited runs. So definitely you should pay attention. This is why you should be in the Facebook group because like, they get right. to know it first. But we have a spookster store as well. I do blind date with a book. Eventually, like Tara knows this, I'm just going to let everyone know I'm working on some new merch. It's going to take a minute because like, if you know me at all, my creative juices get going (laughs) and then I get burnt out. So that's going to come up soon or in the next few, a couple months. 
If you want to help support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls, or you can click the link in the link tree. In fact, our link tree will take you to most places that we, we are. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everywhere. It's long. <laughs> it, yeah. And it's, it's convenient. It's made yes. for you and your convenience. Yes. It's in the show notes. So for little as a dollar, you can support the show. This helps us produce the show and you know we're really grateful and we do things over there like we do an all tier episode which we're really excited because in real time mm-hmm. we're recording that later tonight Woo! and five and up we have video content tara does her haunted grounds which is like she talks about haunted objects i do jessica slaughter's movie reviews and plot lines which is basically me just talking in a circle about a movie i saw <laughs> and i know that my nuts you're my like that sounds cool no if you know someone who's a patron, ask them. It's so great. I don't tell things in a linear fashion. It's it's very chaotic. I will tell a story and then all of a sudden be like, oh my God, guys, I forgot to tell you. This thing happened in the beginning of the movie, which is really important to the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like having your favorite crazy aunt tell you a story. <laughs> it's great. It's great, guys. So definitely check it out. And then, yeah, if you are on the TikTok while it still lasts, I don't know. We're, I mean... The government's worried about eye dilation, but like, Jesus Christ. If you love TikTok and you love true crime, you should definitely be following Tara on there. I don't even know when the last time I posted something on mine. So <laughs> it's at this point. It's on it's there. Just, re- it's linked, though. <laughs> it's linked. It's there. It's in the link tree. I should. But <laughs> again, with the creative ideas and then the not doing it. it's Guys, I have ADHD. I don't know if I've said this on the show. Actually, I've said this on the show so many times that I have ADHD. So. I just, we're working on that. It's fine. But with, yeah, I know. So just definitely check out Tara's. It's spooky underscore sleuth. I know that she's posted in the groups and on socials, other places that she's going in case they decide to ban the TikTok. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely check out her content. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to her to talk about this. Talk, start talking about Israel Keys. Yes. So... We're going to do this format a little different now, as you guys, it'll, it says Israel Keys part one, but this episode is really more about the murder of Samantha Koenig. This was Israel Keys' final victim out of a list of at least 11, probably more throughout the whole US. It's crazy, y'all. But this final victim he had came essentially from his own backyard. So this case is going to take place in Anchorage, Alaska, which some of you spooksters have been around a minute knew I lived there for like five fucking years. So crazy. It's true. I don't live. It's crazy. I don't live there anymore. (laughs) It it is really weird. I was like, wow, we waited till you moved to do the Alaska story. Oh, I know. Right. You know, it's fine. (laughs) Oh, God. So like I said, it's gonna be a little different. Usually we start with, you know, background on the guilty party but we're doing this different because honestly he probably who knows if he would have ever got caught if it wasn't for her case i i mean my personal opinion i don't think so he would have gotten caught i mean he may have devolved eventually Mm -hmm. but i don't think i don't think we would have he would have gotten caught for murder i think he would have gotten caught for something completely different oh for sure for sure all right so we're gonna go ahead and just get into it So, Samantha Koenig was born on August 30th, 1993, in Anchorage to Darlene Rich and James Koenig. She very much is described as, like, a daddy's girl. 
it was said that she had his heart from the very beginning. And he said later on about her, he didn't know he could fall in love with another human being until he met her, basically. Like, he didn't know the father's love type of thing. And when she was born, he was very, he was a very attentive dad. He was always by her side. A popular thing with their family was her little giggle because she was, you know, had the cute little baby laugh and she would like snort when she was laughing when she was a baby. So I'm like, right? Oh my God, freaking cute. And she did have some siblings. She had two brothers, Travis and Alex, and she had three sisters, Tanya, Kaylee, and Micah. And at the time of her murder, she did have a boyfriend. His name was Dwayne. And they had been together for about nine and a half months. She also was said to have two pets named Sheba and Malisha. Now, Samantha had attended West High School and Avail High School. She was very busy. She had multiple jobs. She worked at a subway, House of Harley, and had just recently begun working as a barista at a coffee hut called Common Grounds. Samantha was described as someone who loved animals, her friends, her family. She also enjoyed fishing, playing music, photography, writing music, and poetry, camping, and playing Call of Duty with Dwayne. Samantha was described as full of life and had the biggest personality. She was absolutely one of those girls that was described as her smile could light up a room, and literally any time anyone heard her laugh, it was extremely infectious. And people also would describe Samantha as very charming. She kind of had this like sarcastic wit about her as well. So everyone loved her. And she wanted to work with animals as she entered adulthood, more specifically in the equestrian field or with exotic animals. Another thing that was mentioned, she had considered joining the Navy to become a nurse. So she was she was super young. She had her whole life ahead of her when this crime occurred. And fucking Israel Keys took all of that away. Mm-hmm. Now, he picked Common Ground, the coffee hut Common Grounds, because he noticed the location was easy. If you are local to the area, it's right off Tudor Road. So, you know, where it used to be, it's not there anymore. You know, hop off. It's in a parking. It was in a parking lot, basically. If you're in the Pacific Northwest, Alaska has basically the same with their coffee hut situation. There's coffee huts like every two fucking seconds. So there you go. (laughs) It's true. So it wasn't wasn't like random or like the only one. It was just honestly because it was open later than other ones in the area. So straight up crime of opportunity for this, I feel, for him, because it was just like, sure, go for it. Let's pick that one. Because he didn't even know her. He didn't, he wasn't like, he didn't target her on a personal level. No, but he, tar- I think he like targeted the hut because there was the location, but it was also known to like employ women. Well, yeah, all coffee. Yeah, for people that don't know, like all coffee huts, They always employ like young females Mm -hmm. and those things are tiny. I I don't know why I'm talking like everybody knows what the fuck I'm talking about. So these like little coffee stand, like it's like a coffee stand, but it's like, yeah, a tiny, it's tiny. It's fucking tiny. You could fit maybe like two people in them typically. Yeah. It's, it's literally meant to, you drive up, you grab or you drive or walk up to it Mm -hmm. and there's like one window. Yeah. 
how it is, especially in Anchorage, is like these coffee huts, they are in the parking lot of like a shopping center or, you know, like a, a couple businesses, things like that. And in this case, there was like there was a Home Depot across the street and there was a Dairy Queen and, you know, all of this stuff. So, yeah, he had never and he I mean, you can take what he says with whatever, but supposedly he'd never seen her before this. Obviously, he was staking out the hut. So I guess he could have seen somebody else. So on February 1st, 2012, at about 8 p.m. that night, he rolls up to the coffee stand, right? Just prior to when they were supposed to close. And I say they, but Samantha was by herself. And he orders a coffee. He's said to be wearing a ski mask. So she makes it. And there's a video and it's so fucking scary. Like, it's so scary. I really hope girls and others who work at coffee stands or work anywhere alone by themselves. Like, I hope your company is like supportive of like being protective of yourself because this is fucking terrifying. So Mm -hmm. she makes the coffee. She goes to hand it to him. And he whips out a gun and he starts demanding money. And you can see she's, you know, she's not trying to fight him. Nothing like that. Like she's being very cooperative, like as most as much as she can. And essentially he gets to her and puts zip ties on her. He asked her where her vehicle was and she was like, I don't have it. It's with my boyfriend because they shared a vehicle like a truck. Mm-hmm. And so he he gets her out of the coffee stand and they go towards Tudor Road. And what's oh, my God, so heart wrenching is she actually broke away, like got away from him for two seconds and tried to run. But he literally chased her and then like tackled her to the ground and obviously still had his fucking gun. And it came out later that people saw this happening and were just like, mind my business. Yeah. I'm like, bro, she's like fucking 19, 18, 18. Yeah. Jesus Christ. And even like disregarding her age, because Israel Keys wasn't like a tiny man. Like you see a big dude tackle a chick and your first response is to just keep your head down and walking. Like that's bad on you. Yeah, exactly. It's just like it's fucking crazy. You can't tell me that like nobody saw because it was literally in a Home Depot parking lot. So come the fuck on, people. When I went to visit Tara last summer, she took me to the parking lot. And Mm. it's like, there's literally like... There's an IHOP. They walked across the street. Yeah. It blew my mind. You people who are from there, like, they walked across Tudor. (laughs) Like, bro, that's not like an abandoned road. This is like a busy ass street. Yeah, because that's (laughs) what I was thinking the whole time. Like, when I read the book, like, when I've watched videos, when I've like, I honest to God thought it was just like, Oh, it must just be like a tiny ass road mm-hmm. where it's on one side, it's Home Depot. And on the other side, it's just this like parking lot. But I was very wrong. Nope. There's all kinds of stuff. There's, like I said, IHOP. There's traffic a Dairy lights. Queen. Stra- yeah, there's traffic lights. <laughs> all of that stuff. And in that in that parking lot where the IHOP and Dairy Queen are, that's where he parked his white truck. And he, of course, is a very prepared person, as you guys will learn in later episodes. He prepped his truck to abduct her. He, you know, he had mounted toolboxes in the bed of his truck. He took those out. He took off the license plates, all of that. Now, him and Samantha are in the truck at this point, and they're driving around town. And he's telling her this story 
that he has kidnapped her for ransom. And she is basically like, well, my family doesn't have too much money, so you're not going to get some crazy amount for me. Sorry, we're normal people. Right. And so he says that he explained to her that, you know, basically their family, they're going to go public with this to get you back. So they're going to raise money that way to get what I want. Which I mean, is it wrong? Is what happens. Yeah. So he ends up telling her, you know, if you fully cooperate and I get my money, I will let you go unharmed. And we know that's not true. Now, at some point while they are driving, he realizes that she didn't have her phone. Obviously, she left it at the fucking coffee place because he fucking grabbed her. So they went back and he went in and got her phone and left her in the truck and she's all zip tied and everything. So he got the phone and they left. Then they went to like another part of town because obviously cell phone pings. And he sent out two text messages. Basically, he sent one to the boyfriend and then also to her boss, the owner of the coffee place, and told them that, you know, she was supposedly having a bad day and was going to just go dip and leave town for the weekend and would be back. And what does he do that a lot of people didn't think about doing with these kind of things? He took the battery out of her phone. And we all know why. (laughs) Yeah, because he understood cell phone towers. Yes. But he can't understand surveillance cameras and ATMs. That's fine, though. But that's great because that's what got him got. <laughs> Spoilers. So he. <laughs> well, this is what we all know he got got. Yes. On that note. So he asked Samantha for her debit card and she was like, I share a bank account with my boyfriend and it's in his truck. I don't I didn't have my card on me. So she tells Israel where her house was and she's like, this is the pin number for the card. Obviously, you know, she's a young adult, so it's not like he's going to get thousands of dollars from her. So there's this shed next or like in his yard. Some describe it as like the front of his house, but it's just like his yard type of situation. Yeah. Like from what I saw, it was like kind of the side. Yes, exactly. Side slash back. And he said to her, I'm going to put you in here. And it doesn't matter if you scream. Because he has a radio set up and he blasts music and has her all bound up. And he told her that he had a police scanner. So if she tried to get out and go tell the neighbors and call the police, he would know. So he drops Samantha off. He leaves her and he goes to her house to get the ATM card, to get the debit card. And Dwayne sees him. and. Some sources say Dwayne yelled at the dude and went back in to get help. And some say he kind of like looked at him like, what the fuck are you doing? And went back in. So you can kind of go whichever way with that. But regardless, he ran back to his truck and left the area before anything could happen. And as soon as he took her cell phone and her debit card, he knew that he didn't need her alive anymore. So around 2 a.m., he tied her up by the neck. Then he went inside to his house, because like I said, this shed is in his side yard, basically, to check on his daughter and his girlfriend to make sure they were asleep. He then poured himself a glass of wine and returned to the shed where Samantha was. Now, while he was there, he sat and he was drinking his wine 
And talking to Samantha on how he was going to rape her before strangling her to death with a rope that he had already tied around her neck. And sadly, that's what he did. He then left her body in the shed, went to his house, packed for a cruise vacation. So at 5 a.m., he called for a taxi to come take him and his family to the airport because they were flying to New Orleans to go out of the port there to go on a two-week Caribbean cruise. My mind is blown. He left her body. He did these horrible, horrible things to her. Goes on a fucking vacation. Mm Mm-hmm. MBD, he didn't just murder somebody and leave the body there. Fucking insane. (laughs) Well, I mean, spoiler alert, that's how he vacations. Well, yeah, I know. But you know what I mean. It's just like, it's just like what normal person, no normal person does that. Like, it sounds fake. It's so scary. When I first heard of this case, like, and I Mm -hmm. realized that that's what he had done, I was immediately like, how much of a monster is this human being? Right. That you could kill someone and then turn around and take your daughter and girlfriend on this wonderful cruise and have like family time it just Mm -hmm. it doesn't compute but these type of people it's like the sociopath in them just like the double life it's it's not even like so much that it's like a double life it's almost like oh this is just something i do like i go to go on vacation to get my nails done he's Mm -hmm. like well i'm gonna murder someone it's like almost that blase yeah which is just like so fucking scary Ew. So, as it is noted, Samantha wasn't reported missing until the following day, but as we know, sadly, she was already deceased. Now, Anchorage Police Department, you can get fucked with this case. I have not had high respect for them for a while, but that's just my opinion. Like, literally, they tried, it's one of those cases where they try to report the person missing and they basically do fucking nothing. They're just like, "Mm, she's a runaway. Mm, She might have run off and went to party. Mm, Whatever. And it's like, bro, no. I am so sick. I am sorry. I am so fucking sick. If you're in law enforcement, please hear my words. If some family member comes to you and says, my kid, my cousin, my best friend, whatever it is is missing they're telling this to you because this is not normal behavior Mm -hmm. they're not operating in a normal way and you should be like okay let's put a miss because you know what what the fuck would it hurt if she's out partying and she got pulled over and they're like hey your family's looking for you exactly but you know whatever is what it is but thankfully the fbi gets involved and they're like why? Why anything happened? Because, like, who the fuck knows? I don't think they would have fucking bothered to fucking find out anything for this family otherwise. It's very true. Like, it's disgusting. Now, okay, I'm gonna probably say this more than once, but the book that we have already mentioned is called American Predator by Maureen Callahan. And she's kind of also what, how she tells it is what inspired us to set it up how we did as well in our coverage for this. But if you are a true crime reader or you are interested in more details of this case, 
10 out of 10 recommend that book. I've read this book twice and listened to it mm-hmm. on audiobook once. So it's 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 really good. You described it the best. Jess told me when she was trying to get me to read this because it fucking took months <laughs> for her to get me to read this. <laughs> I read this book and the first time I read yeah. this book, I read it in like a day, like less than a day. Yeah, it's it's set up more. The style's more like you're reading like a thriller, but not in a gross exploitive way. I don't right, know how else to describe that. I put it like you're reading a true crime novel. Mm-hmm. You're reading like a character in the story. Like there's a narrator telling you what the character's doing. However, unfortunately, this is a true story. But yeah. it's because Maureen, she's a journalist. And yeah. so she wrote the book. A lot of like, I'm going to just say a lot of times I have hard times with true crime books because they are so like, I don't want to say fact driven because I think that's good, but it's it, they're so dry. They're not like, they're not written in a way that holds my attention very long. In this book, I'm like, wow, this book held my attention. Yeah, I completely agree. It's definitely a lot more captivating because some like, let's just be honest, some read kind of like textbooks. Yes. So. That's true. And this is very much written from a perspective of somebody who like, and just kind of to say Maureen took all of the stuff in her book. One of the reasons we use this book is because it's so factual, because she went and did all of this research and everything. And she like listened to the tapes Mm -hmm. when he did his interview. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like getting like a snapshot of this horrific thing in one book. With all of these sources. Yeah. Yeah. A million out of 10 recommend for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Keys, girlfriend, daughter, they get back to Anchorage on February 17th of 2012. So like two weeks later. And this is when he starts kind of like the next phase into his plan. So he starts with a ransom note and basically says, you need to put this money I want because I think he wanted like $30,000 or that's what they got. Yeah, he was demanding $30,000 be deposited into the the account that's tied to this card, which I'm kind of like 30,000. That's really random. I feel like he owed on like a loan or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just a random amount because like normally it's like, you know, 10,000, 50,000, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. 30 just seemed random to me. (laughs) The way I kind of looked at it, because I think at this point in time, they'd only had like maybe Mm $10,000 for any information. And I just kind of thought like he just added 20K to that. Mm. That would make sense. Thinking that like they've already raised 10K, they might be able to raise another 20K. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. Because like, Literally, everybody was so fucking shocked that she like the community. They were like, no, she's fucking gone. Like she didn't just run away. Someone fucking took her. And, you know, I know it's so stereotypical, but it's like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, my God, this is happening in our town. Mm -hmm. You know, so I get it. So it like it was everywhere. And then, of course, like it caught mainstream like main media and was like all over the place so that that's how they were able to get more money eventually but they yes they were raising a lot of money and i am going to say there was there's a lot and they i think they i can't remember if it, i read this in the book or if i was watching a video but there is discussion about things her dad was doing with the money and things like that and all of this there was drama happening because This Mm -hmm. is when, like, Facebook got popular, so a lot of the updates and drama and stuff kind of unfolded there. 
right? Well, because they weren't by any like stretch of the imagination like well off. No, because I I remember somewhere I think it might have been in the book where they were thinking that this whole thing like some people thought it was a hoax that they were just mm-hmm. like doing this to get money because I think about this time another case had happened where mm-hmm. somebody had gone missing. Well, and they raised money. Mm-hmm. And then like and then, kept it or whatever, used it for something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they found the person and then they were like, give the money back. And they were like, nah, we have it. <laughs> well, and the other thing, too, that's like really annoying is I remember reading there was like talk about certain crowds her dad and Dwayne were kind of associated with or had previously been associated with. So it's just it it's a whole thing on its own. And it was kind of annoying because it's like for a while that was the focus on things versus trying to find this girl. It's like at the end of the day, she really got abducted. Mm-hmm. Ugh, yeah, I don't even have words. Okay, so what he did was he decided he was going to take a picture. He literally went to Target with his daughter and bought the Polaroid and all the other stuff with this fucking 10-year-old for this shit, right? So he went into his shed and started to prepare Samantha's body. He pretty much did things to her to make to make it look like she was alive when he took the picture. So he sewed her eyelids open with fishing line. He braided her hair and applied makeup to her face. He then propped her body up against a wall and held out a current newspaper, like with the date nearby, mm-hmm. and took a picture to use this as like proof of life. Now he knew he would need to kind of like mess with this a little bit. So one, he cut off like a corner of it because they, I don't know if he ever admitted it, but it was like they thought his arm or part of his hand, something to identify him like was in the picture. So he cut it. And then on top of that, he also photocopied the picture. So that way it'd be like, you know, more fuzzy and blurry-ish. So it wasn't super clear because when he puts the ransom note up, he puts the copy of the picture, not the actual picture, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So now we're a week after they've gotten back. So on the 24th of February, he texted Dwayne from her phone and said, look for a package under Albert in Connors Bog Park. And Albert was, I think, like a something with like a missing dog or something. Like it was a different flyer up on there or something like that. And so obviously authorities were notified and they went there and they found the photo and the note demanding that... He gets this $30,000. So to try to get him, they go ahead and they deposit that money. And the plan was for authorities to to catch this person, to see who it is making these mm. withdrawals, because obviously he's going to have to go to he or she at this because they don't know at this point. Going to have to go to an ATM because you can't just take somebody else's debit card and go into a bank and be like, hey, give me this money. It's not how that works. Not in 2012. <laughs> no. Today, you could, like, set up an offshore account and Venmo it to yourself. Right. So he goes around to some banks in Anchorage and his dumbass. I'm like, do you, like, you think of all these things, but you don't think about the security cameras? I know. It's, I mean, I'm so glad, but, like, Jesus Christ. Now, like we said, this man likes to travel, right? So not only do they get the Anchorage withdrawals, but they also have some pop-up in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. And they were able to figure out 
the person doing these withdrawals was all the same because he was driving a rented Ford Focus, like a white Ford Focus. So they're like, ooh, ooh, what the fuck? Now, I'm so glad when they are down in Texas, when the FBI is looking into this and everything else, the Texas Rangers actually get involved too at this point. And I'm like, good. Mm-hmm. Use all these resources because APD isn't going to fucking do anything, apparently. It's true. So as they are surveilling the area because it's like it's like random it's like random banks i think a couple gas stations and things like that is where he's withdrawing money from and it's only usually like a little bit at a time or whatever the max is it's not anything crazy but obviously when he asked for thirty thousand dollars he didn't think about that either so that's why he's going to all these different atms and what makes part of his unraveling like i don't think i think in later episodes, you'll understand that, like, he is so methodical. I think this was just mm-hmm. like he was devolving, and therefore most of his logic Lost just control. went out. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So basically, they're down there and they are patrolling, and they're like, you know what? He is not from here. We know that. Probably at a fucking hotel, right? So they start sending patrols out into different parking lots. And they find a white Ford Focus at a quality inn right off US 59. So right off the fucking highway. So they're sitting there and they're fucking camping out because it's like two story. So they're like, okay, he's either in this room or room like 215. Mm -hmm. And he comes out and they're like, oh, my God, he looks like our dude. Let's go fucking follow him. Right. So they're tailing him. And basically, they are the FBI and everybody's like to the the person tailing him. They're like, pull him over for whatever the fuck you can pull him over with and waste as much time as possible. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, bet. So they're following him and he he knows he's getting followed. Right. So he starts kind of starting to drive more erratically. Now, eventually, he finally does speed. They pull him over for going too over the speed limit. That's all it has to be. It's illegal. Exactly. So they pull him over and they stop him in a parking lot of Cotton Patch Cafe. And what didn't you know when they ask for license and registration? He has an Alaska driver's license. So. Weird. For all of the weird we're in, shit. We're in Texas. <laughs> right. For all the weird shit Israel Keys does. The fact that he didn't have fake identification. Right. Poof. Blows my I know. mind. Right, I know. But he is super sociopathic and he's a narcissist. So there's no way that he, Mm -mm. there's no way in his mind that even if they catch him, they're going to keep him because he's too smart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you guys think like Bundy thought he was like fucking God's gift to earth. This man fucking same fucking thing. Same thing. He thinks he's so smart. Guess what, Israel? You're fucking not. So fuck off. So when they're talking to him, they're like, what are you like? What? Why are you? What brings you to Texas all the way from fucking Alaska? And he's like, oh, I'm here for my sister's wedding. And they're like, "Okay." And they notice right away he has two knives on him. He has one in his front pocket and one in one of his back pockets. They do ask him to remove them from his person and, you know, set them down and be like, what is this all about? You know, they were like hunting knives, I think. And so they get to talking and they said and he's like, well, what is this? I don't understand. Like if I was only going to over blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, we're looking into a kidnapping from Alaska and 
kind of weird. You got this Alaska driver's license and you're in our state. Interesting. And he's like, well, like I said, I came down for the wedding and they're like, okay. And they're talking about the rental car and all that. And he's like, so what happened was he had to fly to Vegas and he had his daughter with him. Then they drove down to Texas and they were going to go see the Grand Canyon. And they're like, okay, well, where's your daughter? Well, she's with my brother. And they're like, well, where the fuck is that? And he's there. He's like, oh, they're at the, you know, the hotel rooms in his name. So, you know, she's with him and they're there and it's fine. Which, thank goodness, his kid's safe. So, you know, they're just they're going back and forth with him. They're talking to him and they notice that he's getting really agitated and he's like, you know, sweating and Mm -hmm. visibly pissed off, like physically pissed off, obviously, because he fucking knows this is not good news for him. Right. And they knew it was, and by this point, they know it's him, right? But they don't have any probable cause, but lucky for them, Texas has a probable cause exemption. Basically, it says, if you have enough to believe a vehicle has been used in the commission of a crime, you can search it. Mm -hmm. So they weren't going to let him fucking go without searching it. And they found a lot of stuff. Just a little bit. And are you guys fucking ready? So we already we already shouted out this book, but Maureen listed out for us everything that they fucking found. Okay, so here we go, guys. So there's five officers there right now, right at this point, because they're like, holy shit, what the fuck? So one of the officers says, hey, I have a camera. Start taking pictures of fucking everything. And they're like, all right. So they finally start the search an hour after they pulled him over for going two miles over, right? So, in addition to what I'm about to read you on the list, they also found highlighted maps of California, Arizona, and New Mexico. Besides that, they found a fuck ton of stuff. Okay, front passenger seat, one can of AMP energy drink open, one set of school photos of a child, probably his daughter, one pair of sneakers, white, one ATM receipt under the driver's side floor mat reading debit not available. Sony digital camera containing 200 plus photos of a wedding, one new gray shirt with store tags, packaging, Winchester brand, amber tinted sunglasses, no packaging, one shirt with one sleeve cut off, a dark gray Columbia fleece jacket, several Walmart bags, rolls of cash in denominations of fives and tens. Then in the back seat, they found a Walmart receipt stamped Lufkin, Texas, 410 a.m. on 31212. A sandwich, another energy drink, a pair of black sunglasses, one partial gallon of water, laundry detergent, and one pink backpack. Then they went to the trunk, and in the trunk they found one green backpack, one gray DVD case containing porn, more porn, and they found Alaska Airlines flight confirmation of Israel Keys and his daughter to depart Anchorage on 3612, arriving in Seattle at 554 a.m., And then going from there and landing in Vegas at 5.56 p.m. And so that matches up. Bottles of alcohol. It says still chilled in Walmart bags. I'm like, why is that detail important? I guess because that means he just bought it. Mm -hmm. Another jacket. Another gray fleece jacket. You had such a fucking long layover. Right? I know. Gross. Ten hours. (laughs) I know. That poor kid. (laughs) Gray hooded sweatshirt with amber shooting glasses and a gray cloth mask in front pocket. Gloves in another pocket. One laptop, one Samsung cell phone slider type, battery and SIM card removed. Samantha's phone. 
toiletry kit, handgun, one pair of binoculars, one black ski mask, and one headlamp. Pretty fucking damning. A lot of that stuff might sound fucking familiar. Shoe. They also found, too, in his wallet, Samantha's ID. See, that to me right there, you're not getting out of this, bro. And and her card and the debit card with the fucking pin scratched on the front of it. It's like you're never going to be able to deny you did it. No, no. Like, tell me fucking how. Now, obviously, we'll kind of get more into this in Jess's part with like his background and stuff. But they they were so confused because literally he had a clean record. He had nothing. He, you know, he was in the military. He wasn't this like stereotypical profile that you would think for a serial killer. He wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, they don't even know that Samantha's deceased at this point. But still, that doesn't you know what I'm saying? Which it, it really is, I think, why things took so long, because he was so calculated. And when it came to this murder, like just said, this is kind of just when he was like falling apart. I think yes. this is like similar to how Bundy at the end was just being very sloppy and just like doing things out of MO and out of character. That's very mm-hmm. much what happened. He says that like, you know, it's said so many times about this dude. His biggest rule was to not murder people where he was living and then or he fucking staying or staying and he literally brings this victim to his fucking house yeah so off his game thank god so obviously they they get a search warrant for their home and the shed and all the things and his poor fucking girlfriend they go by her fucking work because i'm pretty sure she was a nurse yeah. They go by Providence Hospital and they're like, guess what? I just can't think about, I can't fathom. We talk about this a lot when we talk about serial killers and like, we talk like Dennis Rader, like his wife mm-hmm. and kids have like no idea. But like, can you imagine being at work and like the fucking FBI and the PD roll up and they're like, hey, we need to talk to you because we're pretty sure your your boyfriend is the one who abducted Samantha. Oh, yeah. I have, I have a little. Sorry, this is like having a book club moment, but I have this passage from when they went and got her and I'm just like, oh, my God, like that poor woman, because she had no she truly had no fucking idea, literally had no idea. So it says Kimberly Anderson, that's the girlfriend, was picked up by APD at Alaska Regional Hospital, not Providence, sorry, guys, and taken to the station where she found herself sitting across from Detective Dahl. Anderson was horrified to hear that the detectives were about to search the house she shared with Keyes and his daughter. She was adamant her boyfriend had nothing to do with Samantha's disappearance. He was at home with her and his daughter the night Samantha vanished. He came into her bedroom several times that night. Her bedroom? Where was Keyes sleeping? Anderson went on to say that Keyes checked on his daughter and then rose at 5 a.m. to wake her. The two of them were leaving on a flight that morning. And then obviously she's telling about like the, the cruise and everything. They checked that, confirmed that. And she's like, there's no way he did this. We know that's not true. But they knew they like, obviously, at this point, they're like, OK, we don't know if she, where she's at, if she's alive, if she's not. But they need to hold him on charges. Mm-hmm. So they charge him with fraud with access devices. Simple right. enough. And so then at that point, that allows them to transport him back up to Alaska. Right. And oh, my God. It's like very, very brief, but they mentioned his mom and it gave me fucking Luca Magnata's mom vibes very much from Don't Fuck With Cats. 
because literally they're trying to get his mom, Heidi, to fucking talk to them to be like, what the fuck? How did this happen? Mm -hmm. What is going on? Like, we don't know anything about this dude. And basically, she's just like, I ain't telling you shit. She literally says, if God wants that girl to be found, she'll be found. And then fucking left. That kind of screams you knew your son had something to do with this. And you were like, I'm not getting involved by. We'll talk about that in another parts. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like we've already mentioned, there's so, like, you guys, there's so much, like, YouTube videos. There's footage. There's other books, obviously, besides this one. But this was, like, our fave. And she like just kind of mentioned like she puts a lot of the transcripts like she takes obviously the most important things but there's a lot of it in this book a lot mm-hmm. a lot a lot and yeah so you get like full conversations it's not just yes it's not like an impression or like we've Mm-mm. heard in the past it's like maureen has spent time listening to interviews and transcribes them in the book so that you can mm-hmm. like hear what people are saying Yes. And it's interesting because it's like you watch him go from like, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't have anything to do with this to literally pretty much relishing in the memory of what he's done and being very casual and all of this. And there's even one point during the interrogations where he says, quote, I can tell you the rest of what happened if I get my cigar. And then he also demanded to get an Americano and a peanut butter Snickers. Yeah, dude was, like, super high on his horse. Mm -hmm. The truth is, they had to give them these things. They had to give him a cigar. They had to give him his Americano. They had to give him this because then he just wasn't going to talk. And the thing was, unlike a lot of other serial killers who get caught and try this shit and then, like, don't cooperate, he's got his shit and cooperated. He didn't give them everything, but he gave them, he would answer their questions. It might not be to, like, the full extent, but dude would be like, mm-hmm. this is what I've got. Yes. And I grab more. My my fucking book, dude, it's so marked up with fucking highlights. But oh I have my. a couple things that I'm going to go ahead and read to you guys because it's just obviously we don't plagiarize here. Hello. But <laughs> that's not our game. We don't do that. Shit. No, no. But I didn't feel like it did it justice enough if I just summarized it. So we're just going to read. We're just going to read a little bit about some of this stuff. So basically, they are talking about how he did this exactly because they did not know at this time, right? Okay. So according to Israel, on February 18th, he had been checking the weather remotely and knew it was getting warmer in Anchorage. He went to the shed to assess the body. Kimberly was still traveling in the lower 48 until the 22nd, so he had a little time. And also, I have to note something that's mentioned. People questioned why the fuck she didn't bother going out into that shed at all. But literally, they had a previous fight because he had been growing weed in there. So she was like, fuck you and your stupid shed. I'm not coming out here. And it was a work shed. Yeah. And I was going to say he was a carpenter and like. Yeah. Yeah. Had a landscaping business, all that. Why would you like it's fucking February in Alaska. This too. Why is she yeah, going to go you. out to his shed? I mean, granted, he's out there working. But that's because, like, that's what he does. That's where he, like, works. Exactly. Exactly. It's also his man cave. Right. So, Keyes waited until Monday the 21st after his daughter went to school and began taking the shed apart from the inside. He dismantled cabinets, shelves, lights, and he worked around Samantha's remains until still in the lower cabinet and chopped everything he ripped out of the shed into firewood. He rolled Samantha's body, triply cocooned in the foam mat, sleeping bag and tarp, out of the cabinet and onto a piece of visqueen. What is that, like tarp? Yeah. Okay. 
and he stated that the sleeping bag she was on was, quote, pretty much soaked with blood. And this is when they noticed he started to contradict himself because earlier he said that her stab wound was minimal. So they were like, okay, we need to see what's the same and what's different when this fucker talks. He stated that he took everything that Samantha had been wrapped in, cut it all up, and tossed each piece into a double-layer contractor bag, so like a giant-ass trash bag. The clothes he wore that night, along with his shoes, would get burned or go into the landfill. He took out Samantha's purse and rifled through it, tossing aside almost everything except her cell phone and a small amount of change. He took the coins inside and mixed them with his own jar. Disgusting. And, you know, because he's a fucking crazy person, he... His daughter came home from school, helped with homework, had dinner, put her to bed, all of that stuff, built a fire in his living room. Jesus Christ. But at this point, he burned the tarp and everything that she had that the victim had touched. And he pretty much like he before he starts spilling all of this, he had told them he's like, I want to talk to Mickey doll, which was one of the detectives, one of the female ones. Mm hmm. And so that was, you know, why? So she's talking to him with all this. And basically, she asks him, what happens next? And he says, well, this is where you get the abridged version. Let's just say I um, thought her out and um, had a table made in the shed at that point. Doll, after you thought her out, was she not rigid? No, she was very floppy. And the other detective says, what did you do? Key size. Well, I wouldn't tell you this part, except you're going to find out anyways. So, Feldis, why wouldn't you tell us if we're going to keys? I told you the stuff is private. There's too many people in here, but um, I had sex with her, her corpse. And, um, you know, she was warm and I guess I lost track of time. And it was stated that his daughter came and knocked on the shed because it was now the following morning. Yeah. I just can't imagine this little girl like. I think she's like 10, like 12. I don't know. She's young. I think she was 10 when this happened. Yeah. So like, just imagine like a 10 year old knocking on the door. Fucking crazy. And then being like, dad, I got to go to school. It just like literally inches, an inch and a half, two inches. I don't know how big this shed door, how thick the shed door was, but that's all it was between her and super trauma. Yep. So he stated that he cleaned himself up and went inside to get his daughter ready for school, leaving Samantha in the shed. And after this, he went through his checklist of what he needed to do before Kimberly got home. So next was the ransom note. And like I mentioned, this is when he told them that, you know, he picked up his his kid from school and they went to Target. And that's where he got the camera and all of that stuff. And along with that, also went to Home Depot and he bought a big foam sled and tote bags. And he also got carbon ribbon and paper for his typewriter that he got at Goodwill, a sewing kit, and a 10-pound fishing line. And the newspaper that was used in the picture he had found in a dumpster behind a grocery store. And he stated that it took him hours to position her body just right for the photo. And he said that, you know, one of his biggest hurdles was that her, the muscles in her face had gone slack and that no amount of makeup was going to give her any expression. She had already been dead for three weeks at this point. Right. What did you expect? Well, I think also because she had been like frozen. Right. Her skin was probably oh, yeah, a lot tighter. Gold. 
Yeah. Right. And so then when he, for a lack of better word, defrosted her, basically at that point, her skin then would sag because it would be tight and then yeah. the moisture and then. Ugh. Oh, yeah. This is so disturbing. He he says to Doll and the other person, he says, that's when I kind of gave up on like the mouth and stuff. I just decided to tape it. I taped it so that, you know, it looked like her face had some texture to it, I guess. And then I was still having problems with her eyes or her forehead, you know, because there was no expression. I tried super glue. That didn't work. And so I took the needles I had. I had a big curved needle. I forgot what they call it. But I had that. And then I had that 10-pound test fishing line. And I uh, sewed, uh, took the needle and went down through her bra, basically explaining how he fucking sewed her eyes open. Mm-hmm. I mean, this picture was everywhere all over the internet. I remember seeing it and remember thinking, like, Mm -hmm. when I saw it, there was something wrong with her or that, like, she was really super high on something or Mm -hmm. there was something manipulating her face. So I don't know how true this is, but I read that that picture that's all around the Internet is actually from, like, a reenactment. That's not her actual photo. They actually did not put that one out there. But I feel like I don't know. It's just weird. This case is, like, fucking nuts. But, like. I feel like eventually the actual picture might have. But either way, please don't. Please don't go look that up. You don't need to see that. That just needs to be scrubbed from the internet. It does. Wherever the fuck it is. I just remember like seeing it. And in a lot of the videos you watch about keys, this video, this picture is put. Yeah. And he goes through the details on pretty much preparing her with makeup. He talks about how he had used, he said he used like two or three different kinds of foundation and he was putting it not only on her face and neck, but all over her body because he was very aware she was decomposing. Mm -hmm. Even with the cold weather, she's decomposing. He said, well, she didn't look good. I mean, her skin, you could see it starting to see the blood under the skin. And um, I mean, she was still in good shape, but, you know, she definitely didn't look alive. And he took like six pictures to get what he deemed as the fucking perfect one. Disgusting. Yeah. And so as they're having this conversation, they are trying to get out of him. What happens next? Right. Because at this point, they still don't know where her body is because they're like, well, she's dead. But what, what the fuck did he do with her? Right. So basically, he says, not basically, I'm going to read you what he says. He says, you know, she was starting to smell a little bit, so I wanted to keep her. I didn't want to do it right then, but I was thinking I could put her out in the backyard and bury her in the snowbank and finish up later. But then I just decided it was better to just do it, get it done and figure out some excuse as to what I'm doing, what I was doing for three days. So I rolled her off the table, took the table apart, cut up the plywood that it was made out of and burned that and had a big rolling tote. It wasn't very deep, about five or six inches, and that's what I cut her up in. He states that he made three trips over three days out to Matanuska Lake. And every time he went out there, he removed the battery and SIM card from his cell phone. And he chose daytime because it was less suspicious because it was an hour each way for him. Now, on day one, he goes out there. And if if you're not familiar with like cold weather areas, ice fishing is a huge thing, especially in places like this. So he's at a place that a lot of people ice fish. He's got his chainsaw. He's got the weights. You know, he's got all the stuff to make because you make essentially or you you can. I don't know if everybody does. 
Honestly, I think of that 70s show when they go ice fishing. (laughs) But like you can have like a pop up thing or you have like this kind of tent thing. Anyway, he's doing all of that. Right. And no one's going to think anything of it because everybody else has the same stuff. Right. Now, there was another dude out there and this other person saw keys and they're just like, oh, he's just ice fishing, I guess, like whatever. But the guy said what stood out to him was he had an ice drill and he didn't use it when cutting this hole, right? Now, after he cut the hole, he tied a twine through two of the lead weights and dropped them down to check how deep the water was where he was at. He had asked this person he knew named Kevin, who worked for the fishing game, for the best lakes for ice fishing. And he had told him Matt Nuska Lake because it was 80 feet at its deepest. And he said, I think I en- it ended up being only about 40 feet, but I figured that was deep enough. So day two, the next time he went out there, he packed up some of Samantha's remains into tote bags, and he said he triple bagged them to contain any blood. And he had left early in the morning during the work commute, all of that, again, being like not being out of place, right? Mm-hmm. And he said the first day, dumping the body took me about five or 10 minutes once the ice shack was set up. Then he said he left to go to a parent-teacher conference for his daughter. And when they were like, how the fuck did you go and act normal? He was just like, he literally says, I didn't really think about it. Okay. You guys can't see that I'm just gesturing frantically. I'm like, yes, this sociopathic mm-hmm. crazy shit. Mm-hmm. And it was stated that it took him two more days just because of how he planned it out. He stated he couldn't move Samantha's remains all at once. He did not want to create suspicion at the lake. He said he never saw anyone else out there again, just a parked car near his truck on days two and three. He couldn't be sure, only that it was a day he was submerging the remains and it caused no alarm. He stated, I could tell by the tracks that they were just gone, like cross-country skiing. They never even came down by the lake. They probably didn't even see me there. And After he dropped her remains in there, he goes ice fishing right there. Yeah. In the same hole. Because you have to have some sort of proof that you were ice fishing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so they're all like, what the actual fuck? Right. So they get they get a crew out there. And I have to say, same thing with like the Texas Rangers. They I'm almost done, guys. They. Use their proper resources, I should say. I don't know how else to really explain that. Like the person that headed the dive team, his name was Bobby. I think it's like Chaken. He was literally in his field for 20 years at this point. So he was very, very experienced. He was very much experienced. They weren't getting like brand new rookies, nothing. They were putting out the pros. So Bobby is in L.A. He gets the call. And they say to him, there's a kid up in Anchorage who's been dismembered. They need you right away. So he packs up. He goes down there. Like I said, he is he's literally been part of the FBI's dive team for 20 fucking years. Like he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And basically, you know, they are getting them up there. They are getting all the stuff they need and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. now. We're at, we're in April now. Like, this is crazy how long this is going on. We're in fucking April, okay? And obviously, 
they are communicating with, you know, her family on what's going on. Obviously, they can't say anything as of yet being like, yes, she's there, anything like mm-hmm. that. But they're telling them like kind of like what they can. And so James is, you know, keeping everybody updated on Facebook. And on that day, he posted everyone say a quick prayer. Thank you. And they start the dive team starts at noon. So they have one, two, three people out there, four people. They have they have like a whole they have a lot of people, but like the the dive team, they are like top tier. They got people from Quantico. They got Bobby. You know what I mean? Like they have heavy hitters because they know this is going to be a difficult extraction and search because even though it's April, there's still like two feet worth of ice, like thick, thick ass ice right. on this lake. Right. So basically, they have to go over there and then they have to cut a hole. And Bobby said, quote, go over there and cut a hole. Next to go down would be the four propeller ROV, which would transmit visual images. Again, once on the lake's floor, the ROV almost immediately hit something. And it was a human foot. And then they see it on the bottom right hand of like their monitor that's connected to it. And it's it's obviously swelled up some because it's in water. Mm-hmm. But because it's so cold, it's not really the decomposition is like extremely slow, obviously. Now, they continue on and flash forward to 7 p.m. And it said that it took them 15 minutes to make the descent 41 feet from from the surface to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then he had to wait another 15 minutes for the other dude to come down, right? And when they get down there, they find her torso. And so they unhook the body bag that they have to start, you know, securing her torso and bringing it up. And they also discovered that he had put wired weights on her body. And some of it had like so much that they couldn't remove it, which is just like, you have to think how much, how time consuming all of this was for everything he did to her. It's just gut wrenching, fucking gut wrenching. I mean, and in a way it's like, it's so quick, but yeah, like drawn out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this is like eight plus hours like going on all fucking day. Cause obviously they started the dive at noon, but they obviously were there earlier in the day getting everything set up. Cause it's not just like, oh, let's just go in the water. No, you have to bring in all this equipment. You have to drill it. They have to put in all their freaking, you know, their tech stuff. Like it's, it's fucking nuts, man. Mm-hmm. And then I think probably the most traumatic part of this whole thing is that when they found her head, they said that her eyes were wide open. Well, I mean, he did sew them open. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, how yeah. fucking, like, jarring. Very terrifying. Yeah. It's crazy because it's like she's in this cold, cold water. So, like, things are still preserved. Exactly. Exactly. And basically, you know, Bobby ends up retiring, and this is just kind of like an extra tidbit that was in the book that I thought was worth mentioning, because I feel like this isn't really mentioned a lot with cases like this. So Bobby retired in 2014, and basically at his going away party, he said the one thing he'd never miss was pulling another dead child out of the water. 
And it said that he still deals with PTSD from this. That's a horrific job. That's a very like traumatic job. So I'm not surprised at all. Right. Like I would I would be curious to know how many of how many recoveries he did, you know, because like that's a lot. Like at that time, it was 20 years plus a couple more years, like over 20 years. That's fucking nuts. Right. No, it's it's so many. Mm -hmm. So Samantha was cremated at sunrise on Easter Sunday on April 8th, 2012. And then they held her memorial service on April 22nd. And that, my friends, is where this episode is going to end for today. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. We love and appreciate you. And we will be back with another installment into our Israel Keys coverage on our next True Crime Week. Bye, guys. Bye.